Welcome to the podcast. We're street smart, business smart, all kinds of smart people share their insights into the world of marketing, career journeys, and personal growth. So sit back and prepare to get enlightened with your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Tribe, my guest today, Heather Younger, is the best-selling author, international TEDx speaker on adversity. She's also a podcast host on leadership, facilitator, and a killer coach. Heather has earned a reputation as, quote, the employee whisperer. And her experience as a CEO, entrepreneur, manager, attorney, writer, coach, listener, speaker, and collaborator, and most importantly, mother, have all lent themselves well to our laser-focused clarity into what makes employees of organizations and companies large and small tick. And she's facilitated hundreds of communication-style leadership workshops, reaching hundreds of employees, and really has touched so many people near and far. She's amazing. And her book, The Seven Intuitive Laws of Employee Loyalty, hit Forbes' must-read list as a go-to source for HR professionals seeking insight into their organization's dynamics. And we're going to unpack that a bit more. And today, Heather hopes to empower and inspire you to change the experience for your employees, your customers, and your community. We recently connected online, and I knew that I had to have Heather on the podcast. Heather, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. That is quite the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 well deserved for sure. So let's start off quickly. You know, I definitely gave a very thorough introduction there, but I, I would like for you to introduce yourself to my tribe. What I miss in the intro, you know, what about your foundation that led you from where you were to where you are today did I miss? Uh, well, I mean, I, you mentioned the TED Talk, which does go over some of the background, but I'll give you the more recent background and they can always go check out a TED talk to get even, even more of yeah, that backstory, right? But really, so I got where I'm at because I was involved, I think it was like a culmination of being a manager of teams and employees in and outside of my team would come to me and be like, what is happening? Like, what is my manager thinking? And how do I do this? And how do I do that? Just really like a um, trying to dive deep and they were trying to uncover what was happening in the organization with the managers. They just, there was no transparency. And then it, it kind of hit ahead when I worked for an organization that uh, was going through a merger of five companies. And when they were doing that, they weren't paying attention to what was happening with people that were driving the bus forward. So they were just being merger. transactional. They weren't, they weren't getting the pulse of the employees, which are their lifeblood. Absolutely. They were not doing that. And so again, that same dynamic that had happened over the years of them, of people coming to me, wondering what was happening. No one was talking. Everybody was fearful they were going to lose their job. And I started to get real concerned. And, and it, was, it was hard for me too. Like I was going through, but I decided to be the change I was seeking. So I went to HR and said to them, like, I really think we need to do something to trust in our engagement. And, and the head of HR said, you know what? You're right. You should go do something about that. I'm like, <laughs> okay, wait, I'm in customer experience. So, okay, you want me to go do something about it. So anyway, I did because I was kind of the culture bearer at the time, really uplifting people. And it just was natural for me. So I, I decided to create this employee engagement council. And in that council, through that council and creating like having a whole bunch of cross-functional teams inside that group and really working together is when we started to see the trust happen because we, we forced people into situations where they had to interact with each other inside that between the different companies. 
And, um, and people realized in that point that like people weren't their enemies, that we were all in this together. And when that happened, we just, it was like a light bulb for me. It was like, wow, the organization is not listening. They're not paying attention. Someone has to be the bridge for this. Someone has to be that okay. catalyst for them to listen more effectively. And that's when I decided to create customer fanatics. The layoff happened. There was a layoff that happened. And, and yeah, I was one of the people that was laid off. I appreciate off. that. But let, let's rewind a little bit to your, your first career out of school. You went to school and you, you studied law and you became a lawyer and you jumped right in. And, and I spent some time engaging with your content, with your content specifically around your TEDx talk. And you talk a lot about not being fulfilled. And that's tough, right? Because you, you, you have this vision since when you were, you were younger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to college. I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to become a lawyer. And then you have that first job. Let's talk about that. What it, what it felt like. And I have my own experience um, as well as not being fulfilled. But let's talk about how that felt inside where you're like, I, I've spent so much time and effort and my mind was set on this, but something wasn't clicking for you. Yeah. I mean, what, what felt weird? Yeah. Just knowing that you didn't land in the place you thought you were landing. I had spent all of my energy building up to going to law school. My grandmother wanted me to go to law school. It was just one of those things. I'd be the first lawyer in the family. Uh, the first person actually I'd ever gone to graduate school in the family. And, and in the end I'd get there and I'm like, wow, this is, um, I'm not feeling it. I felt like I was a withering vine. That's what it felt like. It was just, I had not landed on the place I was meant to be. And, um, and so I just, I just felt a huge void and I was searching out a place where I felt um, like, like I belonged and like a place where it was just me and that wasn't the place. That's interesting too. And you mentioned, I think it was in the TEDx talk, how it was the, uh, the partner at the law firm that, that noticed it, right? They're like, something's not resonating. Like you feel like it's very robotic. You're not, you're not fully engaged. Like, did you, did you feel that you would have came to this decision on your own if it, or you really needed this push? I felt like I needed a nudge because even though I was like completely miserable, I was getting like her. And then I was also, um, over time I was being courted by a company called Mary Kay Cosmetics. And I could, every time I'd be around these people, I would see just how fulfilled and happy they were and how they were uplifting people. And I felt like there was just much more change impacting people's lives. And I wanted to be a part of that. And so that was happening at the same time. I was being miserable. And then when the attorney was like, you know, I just think, like you said, there's no connection. Um, she was absolutely right. And at least as it relates to that place where I was at. And, um, and then I just realized I needed to be like more towards where I was at in Mary Kay, even though I didn't end up staying there. For, I stayed there for four and a half years, but I realized in that place that lifting people up and helping people see the greatness inside of them was a huge part of the work I'd be doing. And it didn't happen till years later after I quit that, that I was really fully seeing that in, inside of customer fanatics. Yeah, I mean, but you've had this in you for a long time, overcoming adversity. And I want to take a step back even further to your upbringing, right? And in your TED talk, you talk about, you know, your, your mom was, was white and Jewish, your dad was black and Christian. So you've had to overcome a lot in your life. And you talk about some really deep personal things about family events and, and family dinner. Um, that had to be tough. I mean, listen, that, that was certainly not easy. But looking back on that now, would you have changed anything? How that has really built that foundation to your success right now? Huh. those formative years. I mean, they were, the only thing I probably would have changed is, um, you know, I wish it, my younger self would not have, um, taken it so internally, like, you know, again, blaming myself for their inadequacies and for their lack of knowledge and understanding. Like, I wish I would have done that and then just like put it in and let it seed inside my pores as I did. So I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I think like now, like retrospect, I probably, would have been leading like an HR organization or something right now. Like I'd have been leading like you right. know, CHRO or you know, like that kind of thing. And so I think, wow, that's interesting. Like the path I took and 
I wonder where I would have been. But in the end, like, I feel like right now I'm in such a good place. I have four kiddos. And so I'm able to do all that I do now um, with, uh, with and around my kiddos. So it's kind of, I just feel like I'm super blessed right now. Absolutely. And I mean, you're setting a fantastic example of them. So let's fast forward ahead to current times here. Um, and I want to dig into a few things that you really are a thought leader on. And the first part uh, is talking about cognitive reframing. And a lot of people, that's a, a term, an expression that they may not be familiar with. So let's unpack that a little bit. So um, I, I'm not an expert on cognitive reframing in the traditional sense because I didn't go to, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist, um, I'm not a, a, like a brain scientist, right? But through the adversity that I had, I learned to what we call reframe. And, and, and basically what that means is um, take a minute to kind of take in what it is that we are feeling or going through in the minute. So you let, you know, you're, you're really irritated or frustrated because you, you, you broke up with your fiance, your fiance say, I'm not, I don't want to marry you. Right. And you are devastated and you feel that and you let it roll over you. And, and then you go, well, okay, there's, there's, there's actually, there's something to this. And you start to kind of rethink. And that's what I call, that's the reframing is like that pivot inside your mind, that kind of lever or trigger that switches that goes, huh, actually, I didn't need him anyway, because he, to be honest, he was stopping me from going to pursue this degree or to go in international travel or to do this other thing. So actually now I go going to do the thing I really wanted to do for a long, so the reframing happens when all of a sudden there's like a trigger or a switch that just, that you do, that you press, that you press purposefully inside your mind that changes you from the place of kind of, um, it could be horror, it could be frustration, it could be sadness, it could be all these different emotions to a place of like hope and yeah, uh, futuristic thinking. I love it. And so that's just something I've done just since I was a child with all the rejection and thing I had there. And just over the years of, you know, not feeling good enough and not feeling like I'm deserving, but then going, but wait a second. And always having that, but wait a second moment. And I do that. And I talk about that in my TED talk. It is, it's a pause, but, but I always want to tell people that I'm not, um, I'm not at the point where I'm unrealistic about the fact that we have emotions, because I think that humans have emotions and that we need to express those. We need to be safe to express those, uh, but we need to cut ourselves off from that being in that place of being stuck. We have to cut ourselves yeah. off and move forward. Yeah, ab absolutely. So let's talk about emotions, right? And you talk a lot about the role of emotions driving loyalty at work. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting one because I've been on, I've been on both sides of that before, <laughs> but I'd love to tap into your brain and your thought process around emotions at work. Specifically around um, so loyalty. It, yeah, they tie together. Well, it is. Well, you know, so here's the thing. Again, this is not a, um, I'm not saying this is something I have done tons of scientific research, on, although I do know that there's research behind it from the brain science perspective. But what I do know now, I'm 48 years old. I've been managing people for 75% of my career. And I've been really good at it. Okay, so there's things I'm not good at. I'm not good at spreadsheets. Um, I'm not good at being highly organized but I'm really good at caring for people and looking deeply into their souls yeah. and helping them reach where it is they need to go and listening very well. So I'm just, I'm a really good leader of people. And that's just the one thing I can say about myself with a 100% confidence. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. So I think the key here when I'm talking about emotions is that organizational leaders, uh, so that could be just, you know, frontline supervisors all the way up to the CEO, actually through the board, to be honest. Uh, it goes all the way ones to the top. That it really alive. does. Mm -hmm. It really does. Um, they have the ability to curate a culture and an experience for employees that creates more positive emotions. And so 
What I mean by that is if we think back, every single one of you listening now, if we think back on a time when we think about our favorite manager or the best organization we ever worked for or the place where we feel like we're doing our most meaningful work, we probably can point back to a manager, an executive leader, either in their actions or their inactions, the decisions that they decided to make on our behalf, right? So uh, they listened to us, for example, in an employee survey. They made changes and let us know they heard from us. When they made those changes, it positively impacted our journey with that company. We decided to stay there as a result. Or the opposite happened. They didn't listen. They did not make changes. They did not help us connect the dots in the work we were doing for the organization. And boom, we decided to leave to find another place that produced more positive emotions in us. And so that's where I'm getting to in that. And I can point very directly to tons and tons of stories where this actually took place. This is something that's been really, to be honest, this emotions thing has probably been something I've only really got become crystal clear on maybe in the last year and a half. I mean, it just became really, really clear to me after reading thousands of employee engagement comments. Yeah, absolutely. That I could see that. Absolutely. And, and you know, people are throwing around the buzzword empathy, right? And, and I think that there's a big difference between people who really truly understand it and put it into practice versus the people who are just throwing it around because that's like the, the word of the day and we're an empathetic, heart-first organization. But the proof is really in the pudding. And that proof is really in the employee sentiment, right? And the yes. action. And the action is the loyalty. And loyalty yes. is so critical. And I, and I talk about it a lot um, you know, with other professionals that loyalty is not just monetary, right? It certainly helps. But loyalty is a sense of belonging and feeling valued and feeling that you know where you stand within an organization and where you're going. And then all those pieces in between, like, listen, we spend a lot more time, most of us spend a lot more time at work than we do with our families, sadly, right? So that time has to be critical um, and, and, and feeling valued and feeling good about where you are, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the concepts, there's, there's two kind of real crucial things that if organizations can get to the bottom of it and do it well, it would make a difference. And, and it really is this idea of meaningful work. People want to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves that impacts more than just themselves and those in the organization. They want to impact people outside as well. Um, so having, knowing that there's that positive impact there in the work they do, that makes them want to stay. They want to keep going up that mountain with you as a result. And the other thing is they want to be appreciated for the meaningful work they are doing. So they, it feels more meaningful when you tie what they do to the value it delivers. And that's by showing your level, a certain level of appreciation for the work they do. And like you said earlier, it's not all about money. Money, some people are driven by money and money is important right. as it relates to, up to a certain point as it relates to survival. When we look at Maslow's hierarchy of need, it really is important just from the, from the survival perspective, right? But once you get past the point where you're kind of surviving and you got a little extra, okay, that is not as important. Now it's about what, what, what do I contribute to this world? And that's where I was at back in the law firm. I just didn't feel like my impact was there. And now I feel like I've arrived at a place that the impact is there. And when I'm at an organization, I'm working for a company that doesn't, I don't see an impact any longer. I'm going to be honest. I'm no longer a captive audience. Right, I'm not interested engaged. in being there. Yeah. I'm personally we're, not. I'm we're not very, we're very, as a consultant. Yeah. <laughs> we're very similar in that. And there's, and there's a fundamental element to all of this, which is a communication piece. And you talk a lot about communication oversights um, in the workplace. I'd love if you could give an example of a, Typical communication oversight, you know, generally speaking, and some of the advice and insight you give to fix this. Well, I think one of the biggest things is organizations who say, oh, we are a listening organization. We listen very well. We have surveys um, and we like get the data. And so we listen really well. But the problem, and actually we even make some changes sometimes. Here's the problem. Here's the biggest problem I see. 
organizations say, yes, I, I listen, I do action planning. They never go back to employees, letting them know that their voices are the reason for the action. So it's the power that the power and the um, empowerment for employees comes when they know their voices lead to action. And when executive leaders or HR or both do like not connect the dots, then the employees are like, oh, no one ever listens to me. They'll never know you listen, even if you acted, if you don't purposely help them connect the dots. That's a big one right there. Yeah. That's super big. I, I like that a lot. So let's transition into the TEDx talk. Um, your TEDx talk is transforming adversity into opportunity. And I highly recommend anybody who hasn't checked it out yet. I will link it when we air this episode. But you do a lot of public speaking. I mean, first question is, you know, because not everyone just jumps right to a TEDx talk. Was public speaking something that always came natural to you? Or did you have to kind of really lean in and practice to it? And then I want to hear the story about the TEDx. You know, so I'm thinking about when you say this, because it's taking me back. So the first time I really embarked on public speaking was in college. I was part of this model United Nations group and I had to represent Tunisia and that I had to get com completely and fully in character as the like ambassador for Tunisia. For Tunisia. And so that was like my first time where I had to really kind of stand up and represent. But when I was in law school, this is kind of where I knew that I had, um, I had the ability to, in public speaking to enlist the trust of others. And so I remember doing a mock trial and people were like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what you do. All I gotta tell you is you can tell me the moon is about to fall from the sky and I'm gonna believe you because I trust that you are speaking directly to me and that your message is acutely attached to my needs. And so when that, I had that, I realized that's kind of, I knew that was the thing I was gonna have to do. And so ever since then, I've had some position that required me to present to people, to do something, right? So I've always done that. The full on public speaking, to be, to be honest, the dream happened when I was literally like maybe eight. And I remember seeing someone who I don't particularly like, but I saw him and I saw how people uh, um, were uh, connected to him. And it was Reverend Jesse Jackson. And he's not somebody I like right now follow or anything like that. But it was the way people hung on his every word. I'm like, wow, like speaking is so powerful. So powerful. And so all these historical figures that would speak and I'd go, gosh, like I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to change people's minds by just my words. So just over time, I've just built that up and I, I keep trying to build it up. I don't, I'm not- It's a muscle, it's a repetitive muscle. nonstop though. Yeah, it's, pra it's, it's, it's practice. Now your, 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 your TEDx, did you get accepted on your first application or was it a process? I, well, on that first application, yes, but no, I, I had applied to two other, one other time to two, one other, two other times to one other TEDx. And um, my, what I realized and I learned in that time is that my message was just uh, too narrow, meaning it didn't apply to everybody in the audience and I needed to make it broader so it could apply to more people. That's, that's, that's a good tip for anyone, anyone who's applying there. Um, did it go flawlessly? Did everything go as planned? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Even the day of, like, they, it, what most people don't know is most TEDx's are um, edited. Some aren't if they're super duper low budget, but uh, many of them are. TED, TEDs and TEDx's are edited. So there were a two gooligop things I did during my talk. Um, but luckily they told me, that's my word, um, they, they told me to like stop and then uh, rewind and then start right back where I wanted it to be recorded from. So I did that only really one time where I did that, where I kind of stopped and then kept going forward. And so they were able to take that portion out. Other than that were the little things here and there, just tiny little things that I didn't particularly like or, you know, sides of me I didn't like and then I edited it. But 
um, it was an, it was an interesting journey. I, I did document that in an influencer article that I can send to you too. So that for anybody who's interested yeah. in going, uh, doing a Ted talk, I, I give like five very clear, very out transparent steps about how it was and what you do so that you can actually go do something. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I want to talk about your first LinkedIn article, how, how to lay people off with dignity. And just to caveat that, you, you familiar with Claude Silver at VaynerMedia, Chief Heart Officer? Of course. Oh yeah, she's, a, she's part of the leadership of the heart community. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you know my story, I worked at Vayner and I was laid off from Vayner um, in a very empathetic, humans first kind of way. And I interviewed Claude last week at the Vayner offices. We sat down and we really unpacked my story and how she personally affected me. And it, and it was wow. incredible. I mean, we really dug into this concept of how to lay people off at Dignity. I'd love to get your perspective on this. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, that, that layoff, I had never had a layoff before. I've never been through a layoff. It was just the one time. I know people have had multiple, but woe is me. I had the one and it was interesting yeah. and impactful. It humbles um, people. Yeah. It, it was definitely humbling. Um, <laughs> I felt it coming. I felt it coming. Uh, I knew enough to know that it was happening and I could feel and sense the environment. And that's just me and that kind of empath side of me. And that was even more painful because I could sense it over a couple of days. And I was, it was just like when it happened, I'm like, uh, I just knew it was going to happen kind of thing. Um, but basically the, how they did it was um, my manager called and he, it was HR and then my manager. And he literally, I mean, I, I wish I had a recording. I could, he, he could hear him, but he sounded like he was, sniffling like he was really struggling to have this call with me and I knew he did and he went we weren't even in the same office we were in different offices but we had developed a really close uh bond but you know in the end there were hundreds of people laid off and I was a top paid one and they needed to release some funds and that's just the reality of it right so um but he called and then uh that was like a big one just the way he showed me that he cared through the layoff process Uh, but the other thing is that when um uh, two weeks before I was laid off my husband had uh, quit his job and he was insuring us. And so we only had insurance like for a couple of weeks and I was going to get insurance with the company I was with. And I wasn't insured, wasn't insured, but luckily this head of HR, her name is Heather too. She was amazing. And she ended up saying, you know, just deciding to insure me under Cobra for three months, me and my whole family, there's six of us. Um, So that was not inexpensive. And she did that even though we weren't, I wasn't insured with a company. Yeah. That was huge to me. And, and, and funny, here's the weird thing. You talk about you and um, Claude. Uh, I ended up, that manager, that, that head of HR, ended up being um, endorsing my first book. So she's on the back of my four, first book. And I kept in contact with her. And I did not harbor any negative emotions towards her because I felt like I was meant to be where I was at and, and that they did it with kindness. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and Gary talks about that too, You know how important, how critical it is Almost more importantly, how you treat an employee on the way out than while they're there. I mean, that employee's gonna to talk to you, they're gonna represent your brand, um, and really being mindful of people's emotions uh, and, and mental state. So um, hijacking a recent clip that you put out a couple of days ago, and I'm gonna flip the tables on you here, and I'm gonna ask you this. When were you not the best version of yourself, and how did you come out of it? Well, not the best version. Well, I think that happens often. So. Uh, as one of my other videos says, I don't distance my imperfection from my present state. I'm imperfect every day right here, right now. So, um, you know, some, there's times when I yell at my kids uh, and it's because I'm just like over the edge stressed. And that's a leadership uh, that's real trait. Life. Yeah, that's real life. And I'm, I'm not my best version at that point. And um, the other day I used a cuss word in front of one of my kids one of my kids and I said you know what I'm sorry for that I did not mean to say that like I should not have said that in front of you 
It's emotional. Um, exactly. But it's real. And they know I'm going to be right up there admitting the mistakes and making the mistakes and making the mistakes and admitting those mistakes and trying to correct those mistakes. So no, I, love it. I think that's really important. Yeah. That's you have to, you have to have those kind of gut checks with your kids too. And you know, we're human, right? Listen, I got two kids yep. and I get stressed out. I mean, we have the, the stresses of everyday life and they do stupid things. I mean, they're kids and it pisses <laughs> off. And you know, you have to, you have to lead by example. No, I certainly appreciate that. So bring it home here. Some questions that I ask every guest. I love to get the perspective of all these incredible folks that I have on my show here. Heather, what is, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you ever received that you take action on daily? I wouldn't say it was advice, but I would say, I, I just sent my daughter this poem and it's, at, it's by Marian William, Williamson, but it's that one about uh, basically not lessening yourself or lowering yourself to make others feel better. So it's being your fullest, best self, irrespective of how others feel about it. Uh, so that's what I do every day. I am me, um, unabashedly me, and that's who I'll be. And I think that's the key is if we can just manage to say we are good enough and actually we're more than good enough. We are amazing and we need to be out in the world that way. I love it. And, and today, what would you say is your greatest professional accomplishment? Professional accomplishment. Huh. Oh, that's a hard one. Probably the TEDx. I'd have to say the TEDx. Yeah, that's, yeah. A good one. That's, that's a good one too. And Heather, what do you got planned for 2020? What's on your radar? What are you really excited about for this new decade? No. Weird oh, I think there's going to be some closer partnerships and collaborations with organizations that can help me spread my message even bigger to those who can make an impact. And I also have a couple books on the radar as well. So for 2020, 2021. Good stuff. Yeah. And Heather, last but not least, listen, being a mom is stressful. Being an entrepreneur is stressful. Standing up on that TEDx red, red dot is stressful. You, <laughs> to, you know, you need to pull yourself up. You need to look down and deep and harness that inner tenacity. And on the inverse of that, right, some days are incredible and you just want to show gratitude and appreciation for the world. What do you look up to for gratitude? What do you look to to pull you up when you're down? Heather Younger, what is your North Star? My faith. My faith. My faith is my North Star. So I would have to say uh, giving thanks and prayer and all of that is, is absolutely the thing I do. I do it when, when the day's not going well and I do it when the day's going, is going well. So at the end of the day, I do kind of an examine and figure out what I did well and how I could do something better. And that's kind of what I do. I absolutely love it. Heather, thank you for joining me today. Where could folks connect with you? Where could they find you? Where could they get all the important information? I would say the most important place is, I'd say LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where you're going to find me. While you can see me at Customer Fanatics, I've got some evolution happening on that site. I would say LinkedIn, it will be the place you'll see most everything happening. Uh, so check me out there and it's just Heather Younger. You'll just search for me and you'll find me there. I love it. Awesome. Heather, thank you for your time, your open honesty, your vulnerability, and I appreciate you. And hopefully we can continue this relationship and find some synergies in 2020 and beyond. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Absolutely. And to everyone listening, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Please follow us on all the social media channels, links below, subscribe, comment, network. Remember, take your online, offline, take care of each other. Have a great holiday and thank you for joining us and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode jam-packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.